Psalm chapter 1. I'm not sure who I got this title from. I did, I'm, it's not original with me. And I believe it may have been A.V. Henderson or it could have been Dr. Hall, uh, some of the old preachers of the past, but it just stuck in my mind. And the title was The Blessed Man and the Blighted Man. And the passage here makes its own outline. You don't have to work too hard for it. But in this book that's written over 1,800 years, I believe, and it's got the keys to success. It's also got the warnings of destruction. And this passage is no different than that. It's got the keys to success and the warnings of destruction. It's an extremely complex book inspired by the Holy Ghost, written by many men, but inspired by the Holy Ghost. It is the very Word of God. And it's got a beautifully simple message. And the message for man can be summed up in the words of Jesus in Matthew in chapter 22, verse 35. Then one of them, he says, a scribes, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him, saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. This passage today is going to be that simple, but that's Jesus summing up this book. Solomon summed it up in Ecclesiastes, in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse number 13. Let us hear the conclusion. So he sums up his entire book with this. He says, let us hear the conclusion of the matter, of the whole matter, fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good, whether it be evil. Those are very simple messages, aren't they? Solomon summed up 12 chapters with that passage there. Jesus makes things so simple for us. And the only reason why this book is probably as complicated as it is is probably the same reason that the handbook grows from year to year is that, that there's always somebody looking for a loophole, right? And, and we're no different. We're always looking for a loophole. But here is a simple message that, that we have here. I want you to look at Psalm chapter 1, verse number 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Let's pray. God, may you give me the unction, Lord, to preach this worthily. And God, may I give a challenge. And Lord, may we see in this not only a commendation, encouragement, 
to live righteously, but the warning for not living that way, for forsaking your word, your law, and doing things our way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's three things that the blessed man does not do. And, and the first of them is that he, he does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. It's interesting that as I've counseled, and I'm not, I've never pastored a huge church, but even outside and having a secular job, and, and uh, just so you know, I, I work a secular job and, and have for most of my ministry because the churches have been small. But there at work, you have opportunities to counsel. And then uh, in the church, you have opportunities to counsel. And here's what I find out that's, that's trying to untangle the confusion in people's life is because most people are seeking counsel from the ungodly. And, and I will tell you, if you come to me and somebody says, I want your opinion, uh, here's my answer going to be to you. Let's see what the Bible says. Because my opinion is not worth anything. My opinion can be right. My opinion can be wrong. But one thing that is not going to be wrong is this book. And there's another thing about the man that doesn't stand in the counsel of the ungodly is, is number one, if you're following ungodly biblical principles, you can't lead unless you know where you stand. And just because it's mainstream doesn't mean it's biblical. Because everybody else is doing it, because the other churches are doing it, because uh, other religious people or even people you might respect, because they're doing it doesn't mean it's biblical. Sometimes you have to make a stand and it's not going to be a popular stand. Another thing that the blessed man doesn't do, he doesn't stand in the way of sinners. It says, standeth in the way of sinners. He, he doesn't stand with sinners and, and within their group and, and he doesn't make counsel with them from the previous portion, but he doesn't stand with them. He doesn't stand on their principles and, and for their positions. And, when, and I hear a lot of people say, well, you know, Jesus went and, and he went into sinners. And that was actually an accusation of him that day. Why, he eateth with sinners. Here's what I, Jesus never went for the dinner. Jesus went to give the message. And Jesus didn't go for the fellowship. Now, the problem is, is sometimes we go for the fellowship. And you will err if you attempt to make your fellowship with the world. It's not that you shouldn't go to the world, but you got to make sure you're not going to be the world's friend. You're going to tell them what they need to hear and what they may not want to hear. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and verse number 14, the Bible says, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Don't stand in the way of sinners. Don't, don't join up with them. The Bible continues there, and Paul writes to the Corinthian church, For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? 
Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 11. He says, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Now, when you're standing with sinners and you begin to reprove their evil deeds, you'll find out you'll begin to stand alone. 1 John 1.6 says, If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and we do not the truth. You can't be in the congregation of sinners and be right with God. Not only does he mention those two things there, but he goes on to a third. The godly man does not sit or sitteth in the seat of the scornful. You know, a scorner is one who speaks about matters in a mocking manner. Serious matters. And be careful of who or how you mock others, including those involved in sin. You know, if we make a mockery of even sin, if we, if we belittle them in their sin, and I'm not talking about decrying sin and recognizing sin, but I'm talking about making fun of them. We as Christians have a, a bad habit of that. Sometimes we call it satire. Satire is not always funny. And it's hard to witness to somebody whom you've offended because of your bad behavior. I would like to tell you that I've never had problems with any of these things, but we all wrestle with them. We want to be popular. We, 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 want, to, we want to be funny. And so we offend somebody who may we may should be trying to give them the gospel. Maybe they're looking for a way out of their sin. There's a lot of people who are trapped in sin. They can't get out. Addiction's a horrible thing. Addiction takes place in, in, in morality issues. It takes place in, in alcohol. It takes place in drugs. It takes place in habits. Addictions of, of video games now. Addiction, addictions that didn't used to exist. One thing, it, it was really hard to get addicted to Pong. I mean, it was, you know, to sit there and watch that little thing go back and forth. You know, you just didn't get that addicted to it. It may have burned in your retinas, but that's about it. <laughs> but now I'm, I'm hearing about people who sit down and play a game for 24 and 48 hours and literally have died doing it. That's addicting. And what it tells me is there was something that wasn't in their life. We need to be careful as God's people that we don't bring those things in our life that begin to replace our relationship with God. Here's the warning, and we don't need to sit in the seat of the scornful. To condemn one without providing a message of hope is wrong. Without a, without a message of... You know, sometimes we do like to tell people about their sin and the result of it Sometimes we want to condemn them and tell them, you're going to hell. You know, it's not our responsibility to condemn anybody. That's God's. That's judgment. And we're not to judge that kind of judgment. We can judge and recognize sin, but we need to be thrown out a lifeline, not giving them an anchor. The blessed man is here, and he continues on to verse number 3. He's likened to a tree. 
And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. There's great blessing in this passage here. You know, importance to the tree is the location of the tree. Where you stand is important. Where you put down your roots is important. And you're going to find out where you put your roots is going to dictate what happens to you as a tree. Now, we know we're not literally trees, but what you sink your roots into now is going to be what you become later on. It's going to dictate your growth. It's going to dictate your prosperity and the fruit you produce. You, you have come to this college and you've put some roots down here in order that you may learn. Now, I would tell you, if you came here to learn the Bible, you'll get some Bible. In fact, there's still 66 classes, uh, hours of Bible required for a, for a degree. You'll get Bible, but you don't come, primarily you don't come to Bible college to learn Bible because you can't learn the Bible in four years. You come to learn how to study to learn the Bible because learning the Bible is going to be a lifetime endeavor. And I still am not done. I don't have a Ph.D. behind my name, but if I did, I still wouldn't be done. A Ph.D. does not guarantee that I know everything that's in this book and everything that God has for me. For I found out day by day as things happen, I have to go back to this book. And I have to find out something new that I didn't know before because I didn't plan for it. I didn't expect it. It's something that has never occurred in my life before. But God knew it would. And He has this book waiting for me. He's got a place, and I have a place to put my roots down. So if you want to envelop your roots about something, when you leave this college, it better be this book. The location of this tree, where it put its roots, was by the river. Two things necessary, or three things necessary for a tree. Nutrients, sunlight, and water. And the tree is guaranteed of, of growing when it's near the water and it has sunlight and nutrients. Now, my company that I work for is based out in California, and as you go out there, you'll notice some things. And as I've driven across uh, Interstate 15 and going up into the high desert and down, down the low desert, Death Valley, one thing you'll notice, wherever you go about Southern California, if there's not a sprinkler head, there's nothing green there, okay, except in February and first part of March. It rains one time of the year. Everything grows out. It's beautiful. It blooms. It dies, and it's brown the rest of the year. But if there's not a sprinkler head, there's nothing green, with one exception. You'll see sometimes in the desert, there's a line of trees or a line of bushes. Now, I'm not talking about the, the, the cactus. The cactuses draw their water at one time of the year, and they stay there. But I'm talking about green. I'm talking about what you're used to seeing out here. You might see a line of green, and what that tells you is there is water there. It may be an underground stream, but it's a tree planted by the rivers of water. And it exists there, and it thrives there, and it's prosperous there because of its location. You get far from there, and a tree won't grow. 
It drops its seed, they come up, they sprout up when it rains, and then they die for lack of wing, lack of water. And you're in a place of nourishment right now. You're in a place where your roots are in good soil and you're by the rivers of living water. Take advantage of it. Because one day you're going to have to pull your roots up and you're going to move them somewhere else and you may find yourself alone. I've got five children. They all have been here. Uh, All five of them spent six years in Count Barnabas. All six years of their time that they could do that. Four of them attended college here. And, and even the one that didn't attend college here, he met his wife in Cap Barnabas at, at, at these events. And, and uh, Jake even, even flew them up in the airplane to come to Cap Barnabas. I don't know. Has that ever been, you know, they, you remember that? And, and he flew them up. And he's flown my wife up for a couple of Messiah concerts or one or two. And, and, and so he's a pilot. He desired to be a missionary pilot. But some circumstances have prevented that now. Pray for them that the Lord gives them their heart's desire. But all of them, we've invested a lot of time, a lot of effort here because this was an important place. And it's important for the production of this tree, this location. And one of the reasons is, is the next statement, that that it bringeth forth his fruit in his season. Now the fruit in his season can't come about without the right location. So it's a progressive building here. The blessed man is not blessed because of one thing. I want you to notice the the different things, not only what he doesn't do, but what he does do and where he does it becomes extremely important. Some of us have trouble with the in-season portion of this. Some of us have an expectation of fruit when we want it. I've learned in the ministry over the years, and especially in a small word, Sometimes God works in mysterious ways. Sometimes He works in small ways in our eyes, but it's going to be big ways in other ways. I know uh, years ago I heard a missionary, a young man, he was an Indian, a young Indian fellow. In fact, we had Timothy, uh, is it Henderson? Hendricks, yes, sir, uh, at our church. He has a similar story. But as I listened on radio, and this was about 25 years ago, <clears throat> and this young man was telling the story about a missionary who came to India, and he worked, and he worked, and he worked, and he worked, and he had one convert. And the convert was the chief of the, uh, uh, or the chief, or the witch doctor, or maybe both of the, the little village, and <clears throat> that was it. And they got kicked out of the village. And he went home discouraged, defeated. Now, the guy telling the story began to tell the story, and he says, what he doesn't know, he went home defeated, but what he doesn't know was that one convert, that witch doctor, that that chieftain or whatever he was, left there and went and began to witness to people and formed a church. Not one church, but many churches, and out of that, they also formed a a Bible college, if you will, or a school to teach other pastors. And out of that came many churches. And this guy was saying, that was my grandfather. Now, one guy left defeated because he was expecting fruit in his season when God says, I'm going to give fruit in the right season. I'm here to tell you, 
every time you go out witnessing and you're planting that seed, you, you may not be planting a seed. You might be watering. Somebody may have already planted. Jesus says, and herein is a true saying in John chapter 4 and verse number 37. One soweth, another reapeth. I send unto you reap that whereupon you bestowed no labor. Know this, sometimes when you lead somebody to the Lord, you didn't lead anybody at all. Somebody else had bestowed the labor and you came and picked the fruit. Know that God does wonder. He says, other men labored and you had entered into their labors. Now, we got a part in that, but understand, many times all we have is a small part. But we want a big part. We want to plant the seed, we want to water the seed, we want to see the seed harvested, don't we? But that's not always God's plan. One thing we know is the Bible tells us His Word never comes back void. So never, I'm telling you, don't ever get discouraged in the Lord's Word. And there's going to be times when, when people are going to, there's going to be times if you're in a small work, other people will discourage you and they'll come at, oh, your church has only got that many people? You tell by their tone, they're they're already telling you, you ought to be bigger than that. You you know you ought to be, you want to be bigger than that, but here's what I've learned. If we're doing what God has us to do where we're supposed to be, we'll be the size God wants us to be. Because it's not me that gives the increase, it's God that does. And we're in charge of sowing and planting and being obedient to His Word. That's what we're in charge of. Don't get discouraged. Because I'm telling you, there's so many people that get discouraged in the Lord's work and quit. If I had anything for you, don't quit. Never get discouraged. And you have guarantees. Look at the longevity of the tree. His leaf also shall not wither. You know, we are used to trees that go through their seasons, right? And the, the, but this is not talking about a season. It's talking about for lack of water. That tree, again, it's a building process, is in the right location, has the right things supplied to it, and its leaf, because of that, will not wither. Why don't you turn to First Peter chapter 5? And uh, I know I'm getting on, but I want to read this because this is portion that I think is important. You're in the ministry. This passage here is written to people in the ministry. He says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 1, The elders which are among you exhort whom also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Here's your job. Be the flock of God which is among you. Don't go feeding other flocks. Feed your flock. You're responsible for your flock. So you pastoral majors, feed your flock. In other words, you've got to teach them the Bible. You know what? If you teach them the Bible, you won't have to teach them politics. You need to, in fact, we got to stop from the pulpit telling people who to vote for. You teach them the, for the Bible, and if they know God's Word, you don't have to tell them who to vote for. And if we did the same thing with our kids. We came to a point where we, we had to say you got to make a decision. 
Now, if you want my opinion, I'll give you my opinion. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I had uh, more than one of my kids call me from up here, and they had joined Manor Baptist Church. And, and we told them, if you're going to be there, you need to join it. You're tied to it. You're no longer in our church. I'm your dad now and not your pastor. And, and so you go to that church. And they would call home and they'd say, well, I, here's a problem and what do you think? I said, what do your pastor say? I said, you go and talk to your pastor and then you come back and ask me what my opinion is. And that's where we stay. Because... If my child is seven, and Andrew came at 17, but 18, 19, 20 years old, if they can't think on their own, we got a problem. And my purpose is not to, to feed with a bottle grown people, but feed them the Word of God so they can eat meat. Feed your flock. And in it interesting? It goes down and tells all the things about it. But it also tells us to cast all our care upon Him. You know why? Because you can't carry the burden. I can't carry the burden of everything going on in the people's lives in my church. While we are to bear one another burden, as a pastor, you've got all of that on you. And you have to cast that burden upon the Lord. For He cares for you because it's too heavy. And what I find is when I do that, I get great relief and great clarity of mind. I'm not worried about the burden anymore. I'm just worried about making sure we serve the Lord. And right after that, it says, be careful. Be sober. Be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in the brethren that are in the world. Now, here's my concern for you, and I nearly used this passage to preach this morning and, and my concern because if you were the class that I graduated, when I graduated, there's approximately this number, but I think there's about 200 students, 225 when, when I graduated. 75 when I came. I'm not sure half of them are still in the ministry. Why? Because Satan is a roaring lion. He's searching you out. He's going to search you out. So I want you to look at the person on the left and the person on the right, the person front, person behind you. You need to be praying for that person because Satan is out to get each and every one of you. He's already got the world. He doesn't need that. He wants you. You are the cream of the crop. And don't get too high-minded about that either. Because Satan will sift you as wheat if you allow pride to come into that. Let's look at verse number 4 and we'll finish up. The ungodly are not so. This is the blighted man. We looked at the blessed man. But are the chaff which the wind driveth away, therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation righteous. The ungodly are not so. What are they like? Chaff. Now chaff has no substance. It's blown about by the winds. You'll see people without roots, without something in the Bible, you're going to see them blown about by wind of doctrine. And when I say wind of doctrine, it's the doctrines of men, not the doctrine of this book. We have so many people searching for the truth that's in this book on the internet. And you'll find some answers. It's garbage. Almost everything. I have seen more than one church. I went to, to Chaska, Minnesota one year, and I went to this church, and I thought, 
this is the greatest. This church is just like my home church. Praise the Lord, I found it. I went back two years later. There was a tulip on the bulletin board that literally stood for what you think it does. It had the acrostic up there. The men had grown their beards down and they were chopped at the bottom. And I asked one of them, and one of the men that I knew from before, with tears in his eyes, he says, the pastor was on the internet and saw the sovereign of grace teachings and began to embrace that. I'm here to tell you, if you're in a church, and I, will tell, I tell my people this, if I begin to err from this book as the congregation, you're empowered to get rid of me. The church is you are the body, not the pastor. The pastor is not the church. But the ungodly shall also not stand in the judgment, verse number 5. They'll have no voice. They'll be judged by their works and found wanting. We find that in Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 12. And the Bible says that, that they're judged out of the books of works. Why? Because their name is not in the book of life. Because it says in verse 15, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. You know, based on what I've told you about my graduating class, and my graduating class was much smaller than the number, but based on the number of people that I knew in Bible college, I'm here to tell you, statistically, and this is a nasty thing to say, but statistically, practically, and by experience, there's somebody in here today, there's more than one somebody that is not born again. You're not saved. You're here in this, you're putting on a front, and you're not saved. Now, I'm not saying that to be mean or discourage you. I'm saying it as a warning. This book warns us, as he says here, and whosoever was now found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. It doesn't get any more serious than that. And I don't know most of you, so I don't know who it is. And I don't know your heart, but I can tell you this, God knows your heart. You know your heart. But statistically speaking, and from my experience, and from practicality, there's probably 10% or more that may not be saved. Like I said, there's 50% or so of the folks that I went to school with that aren't in the ministry anymore. What happened? And... Why I say some of them are not saved? Because they're living ungodly lifestyles that aren't conducive to this book. I'm talking about wicked lifestyles. Don't be a statistic. Or if you are, be on the right side of it. Be on the blessed man's side. And that is extended to women as well. It's not just for the men. Matthew chapter 25 verse 41, Jesus said, Then he shall say to them on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Then let's look at the summary. 
For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. God knows. It's no simpler than that. God knows your heart. God knows your mind. God knows your character. You may be here with the wrong intentions. God knows that too. God knows the ones that are here because mom and daddy made them come here. But I can tell you this, if God got you here, there may be another reason. It doesn't mean you need to pack your bags and go home. It means you need to say, God, here am I. Send me. Do with what you will with me. You know, the scariest words you can ever say, but the best words you can ever say are, Thy will be done. Because when you truly say that, what you're saying is, God, whatever it takes, do that. You saw what he did with his son. He did what it took. And because of it, we have eternal life. God wants you to have eternal life. I want to encourage those that are in the righteous. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep steadfast. Don't get discouraged. But I want to tell you, for those that are here whose hearts are not given to the Lord, who have never accepted Christ, and I mean accepted Christ as Savior, you may be at a point where you've accepted Christ as Savior, but you've never practiced Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves a living sacrifice unto God. I mean, that verse, when you look at that, do you realize that Paul wrote that in the 12th chapter? Do you realize he's talking to believers that obviously have not given their life over and made him master of their life? And the last warning of that is be ye not transformed. But be ye not conformed to the world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, which is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. Where are you today?